With Pastor Jim, let me say a welcome to you on our second Advent service. Winter's here, Christmas is almost here, and we're just so glad that you're here as well. I'm also encouraged that we just sang what we did and what we recited together because Christmas is embedded in a bigger, a far bigger story. The gospel of Jesus is more than simply Christmas. It's what we recited. And it's not just what we believe with our heads, it's what we embrace with our hearts. And I want to share with you that this week, one of our longtime church members, Blanche Robertson, went to be with her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because Ken, her husband, for many, many years, and because all of us believe in the resurrection, we know that we are simply saying, see you later to Blanche, not a final goodbye. So um, they're having a private service for Blanche with a family. Later on in January, they hope to have a public service. We'll let you know more about that. But uh, I wanted you to know that some of you know Blanche, knew Blanche and Ken and their children and grandchildren. Let's just pray for a moment right now. Father, thank you that because of Christmas, we believe in Easter Sunday. And because Jesus rose, we will rise as well. So we would pray today. First of all, thanking you for Blanche Robertson, for her consistent testimony, her love for you, her love for Chelton and her family. We thank you that she is with you now face to face and that when Jesus returns, she and all of your people will receive that new body to live on this new earth forever and ever. What a hope. And I pray that even at this very moment, you would help Ken, her husband, and her three children and her grandchildren to have your perfect peace that passes all understanding as they mingle their hope with their tears. Thank you, Lord, that we can have your peace, undiluted but still in a crowded world of chaos. And we pray that today, as we look at this Christmas passage, we would go away with a deeper peace that you give because of Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. Today our Christmas passage is Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. And uh, I will read them in just a moment. Luke chapter 2, 1 through 14. In those days... Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And 
there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. The word of the Lord. Peace on earth. This is a universal longing. Need I say it? It's not just you and I who have that ache in our souls for something better. It's been a universal philosophical question. How do you right what is wrong? It's been something that nations have striven for as they conquer lands and peoples, as they want to form, you know, the, the Third Reich, even a hundred years ago. Or when empires like Rome wanted to conquer the world and bring the Roman peace, the Pax Romana, so that everyone would have life just the way they want it to be. It's not just big nations or dictators because it seeps into your own soul. If I were to ask you today, what's your picture of the perfect life? Maybe a photo like this would resonate with you. A photo where you see quiet, peace, place to relax and just, ah, no responsibilities, no worries. Pleasure without any conflict. Isn't that kind of what most people are longing for? I think so. And yet, today's passage in Luke chapter 2, if you've been around Christmas for a while, you've heard this story before, right? It comes around every year. And we know what it says, that in verses 4 through 7, Mary and Joseph go. She's expecting child. They go to Joseph's ancestral home from up north. They make this arduous trip. They settle down. They can't find a place to rent. And they go out to the back of a barn, and Jesus is born. And his little infant body is put in a place where Cows and animals feed a manger. And then at the same time, the shepherds who are out there watching their sheep, those smelly, ornery creatures, get this message from heaven. They're terrified, of course, at night. 
But they're relieved to hear from the angel, don't be afraid, because the Messiah has been born. And then all the angels in heaven say, glory to God, as if to say, God, you have finally kept your promise and sent the Messiah. And then these words, which are enshrined in our Christmas carols, peace on earth goodwill to men. Now, are you like me? It's kind of like, yeah, I like that picture, but that's not my life. If that has ever been my life, it's only been for a fleeting moment, and then it's back to the normal grind. Not that my life is full of warfare and turmoil and conflict, but I certainly wouldn't call it peaceful. So as that slide goes off, and maybe your picture of peace comes in, whatever that looks like, does does, does this passage... I mean, well, maybe I could ask it this way. What would your non-Christian friend think? Or if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're just kind of checking us out, what do you think when I read a passage like that? Jesus is born. Peace on earth is coming. I mean, isn't the contrast so stark that either you say, Christianity is just a fable, it's just a myth, it's like any superhero that we want to watch on a film. It's fun to dream about it, but in real life, I'm not seeing it. Or maybe if you are a Christian, maybe you're kind of thinking that. Or maybe you're just thinking, yeah, the Bible's over-promising something. Well, could I say this morning, first, to non-Christians, you misunderstand what this message was. And for all of us, no, this is not an over-promise. We have to accurately understand the promise. First of all, you have to understand what verse 14 really says. Much of our Christmas carols are based on the King James translation's reading of verse 14, which, you know, peace on earth, goodwill to men. That's not what the oldest and best Greek manuscripts have there. What you have there is what I read in, for instance, the NIV. On earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Or if you have other translations that are based on those older Greek manuscripts, it would read something like, to those on whom God's favor rests rests, or those with whom God is pleased, or those whom God favors. I know it sounds like a couple words different, but in the original Greek text, it's one letter that's missing from the oldest manuscripts and kind of got dropped out in the copying process. So the first thing I want to say is, this verse does not promise What we think of, whether it's that slide or your idea or some nation's idea of what peace on earth should be, that's not what is meant by verse 14 and the coming of Jesus. 
It's limited. It's limited to those on whom God's favor rests. God shows his favor to those who look to Jesus. The extent is limited. And the other thing is, this peace, even if it is limited to those who believe in Jesus, are we saying that, oh yeah, Christians have this great life of either what you saw in that picture or fill in your perfect picture of peace. Well, again, come on, give me a break. We're not there. I just talked about Blanche Robertson. Can you imagine what Ken and his family are going through this morning and this season when a beloved mother and wife is gone and the grief hits in ways that are so unexpected? No. We must understand what this promise means. So, to do that this morning, I've got to set the word peace in its biblical context. So come with me now to where history starts. And you know, in the book of Genesis, chapter 1 and chapter 2, God, the creator, made the world, and out of the world he made a space called Eden, We still use the word Edenic to describe what? To describe a place where there is, and you have to use negations here, right? There are no weeds. There are no cold mornings. There are no fights between Adam and Eve. There are no diseases. There are no things that they suffer from. Flip it. Everything is just the way it was to be. That's the definition of what the Hebrew word that is used to describe this kind of perfect order, you know the Hebrew word, shalom, peace. That's what Cornelius Plantinga defines shalom as, the way things ought to be, universal wholeness and flourishing, and that's the way God intended, that's the way God wired us, that's why we long for something more. But we realize that Genesis 3, the next part of this story, is true. God, loving his creatures, said, I want this Eden for you forever, and I want you with me forever, so here's how you can live with me forever. And Adam and Eve said, we like it our way. And when they rebelled, when they said to their loving and holy master, we want to be master, As that serpent whispered those thoughts in Eve's ear and she passed it on to Adam and they both took a bite. That was symbolic of biting away their connection to their loving king. And when that happened, something happened to the shalom. And the word is sin. Sin broke the shalom. The relationship with God was severed. Their perfect relationship with each other was severed. That's why they had to cover their guilt with fig leaves. That's why they started blaming each other. 
and their relationship with the world suffered. So thorns and thistles and sweat and pain and suffering becomes the norm now. God did that to nudge us back to the way things were and the way things ought to be so that we would remember the only way to get back or to get ahead is with God. And so he began the plan of redemption. You know this in chapter 3, verse 15. He said to that serpent, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, and that offspring of the woman one day will kill you, will crush you, will defeat you, even though you will nip at his heel along the way. There's the first gospel. There's the heart of God in saying, I want to give my people peace. But the only way that it can be totally reversed is through a man like Adam, but unlike Adam, better than Adam. And so God, through his prophets, gave words of promise. Here's one. You may know this from Isaiah. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government of the world will be on his shoulders, and his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Shalom, Peace. Yes, He's the one that will bring to this universe the peace that was lost in the fall. Zechariah 9, verse 10 says this, He, that Messiah, will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. So if you were to read those 39 books in what we call the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, you would see one pointer that says the world is messed up and the only hope for it is when God fixes it, repairs it. That's actually what Jewish people believe today as they talk about repairing the world around us. And it says when God does it, he sends his servant, he sends his son, he sends his anointed one, the Messiah. And we can look back and say, yeah, 2,000 years ago, the story that I just read from Luke happened. God sent the Messiah. What a way to send his Messiah. A little baby born from the line of David, royalty, born in a manger, laid there as if he's some oats for an animal to eat. What? And then the Gospel of Luke, from which we read this morning, starts to unpack the life of this unusual Messiah. Because, as you know, when he comes, he doesn't say, all right, we're going to set up shop here. We're going to bring world peace to the Roman Empire. No, no. Instead, and here's just three 
passages out of Luke where Jesus talks about peace. Try to fit this into your concept of what it means, peace on earth. Luke chapter 12, verse 51 and 52, Jesus said, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I tell you, no, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, or two against three. What? If you want to find a verse that contradicts another verse, here it is. Peace on earth, the angels say, and Jesus says, no. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No. Now, that's where you have to understand the context of each passage. It's not a contradiction. Jesus is defining what the angels meant. So when he said, don't think I've come to bring the kind of peace on earth that you think of, because my peace is going to divide people, even in families. What? Why is the question? Why would families be divided because of Jesus? And the answer is, because when Jesus came, he said, if you follow me, I will give you peace. And if you don't follow me, you won't get peace. And Jesus becomes the, the cause of division when families talk about real-life issues. Some of you know that. Some of you know what it is to have a parent or a relative who says, when they come over for dinner at Thanksgiving or Christmas, do not bring up religion. You're just asking for trouble, right? Or on a host of other issues where Christians believe what we believe and live the way we live. And, oh, that just rubs some people. And Jesus says, yes, that's what following me is like when I give you peace. It's going to cause conflict. Here's another one, Luke 19.42. <clears throat> the context is Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter. Jesus goes to Jerusalem, and he looks over the city, and he weeps, and he says, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. You see what Jesus is talking to people who are offered the peace that only Jesus can give, the peace that will come five days later on Good Friday, the peace that comes only through the Messiah. And Jesus weeps because some people just don't want him. But in Luke chapter 24, in verse 36, after Jesus had died and risen, but before he went back up to heaven, it says, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Shalom, peace be with you. Peace to those on whom God's favor rests. That's what Jesus is saying to his followers. See, God's peace 
is not yet that world-dominating harmony of Eden. No, not yet. But Jesus defines peace as the soul-dominating restoration of fellowship with God through Jesus. So we've got to understand that this is what Christmas peace means. It's not dissonant. It's not like, well, we can go to church and talk about peace. That's really nice. And let's hope for world peace. No, this is something that is true. Jesus came to bring our souls peace and rest with God. That's the first step. And that's why when you read the scriptures, you can see this. Here's one of the prophets again, Isaiah, in chapter 53, verse 5, who said, but he, the Messiah, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Or Paul can say in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see the kind of peace that the Bible's talking about that we can experience right now? It's the peace that Adam and Eve had when they walked in the garden with God, with no sin, no fig leaves, no guilt, pure pleasure with God, the immense, unfathomable God, the creator, the judge, the lover of our souls. That's what the good news is. That's the peace that comes. When we trust in Jesus, our peace with God is a fact. It's forever settled. It's accomplished by Jesus coming as a baby at Christmas, by living a perfect life, dying a substitutionary death, and rising to reign now and forever. That is true. It's a fact. And I need to ask, have you looked to Jesus in that way? And I mean really looked, not just a glance, but a longing look that says, Jesus, I need you. I need you to bring my soul back to you and your Father. I need my sins forgiven. I need my life restarted. I want you. That's what saving faith is. What a great morning to do it. You can do it right now where you're sitting. If you see your need and you see Jesus, look to him. And I've got even better news. Because peace that we have with God is the starting place for peace from God. The fact of our reconciliation with God because of Jesus can be felt. Can you hear me? If Christianity is no more than just we believe, you know, it just stays in our brains, intellectual knowledge, then uh, 
we missed it. Because if you can't feel it, if it doesn't change the way you live, if it doesn't seep down to your desires, your loves, your longings, your passions, then it's just one of many ideas that you can have or not have and dismiss and all that. Of course, it starts with truth. It is a fact. We have peace with God. But now Paul says, and Jesus says, we can have peace from God in our souls. It's kind of like uh, we, we did some uh, Christmas decorating over the last week or two. And uh, when we hung these uh, mini lights, we didn't have them plugged in because, you know, the cord wasn't there at the outlet. And you're just hoping that the bolt, well, we did check them ahead of time, most of them, you know, plug them in first and then string them up because I've had that experience where, oh, it's dead. Okay, so we're hanging them up. Now, wouldn't it have been silly for me to say, okay, how do we light the first bulb? I think it's blue. And how do we write, light this yellow bulb? I, I gotta think about some sort of, uh, are they battery? Oh, silly, just take the plug and plug it in. The light comes not because you force it on the bulb and the filament, but you power it up and the light shines. What I'm trying to say is you don't find peace by looking for peace. You find peace by looking for Jesus who will give you peace. That's why Jesus said in John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Probably the best passage about what I'm trying to say here, that we can feel the tranquility of God, is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. See it? Paul says, don't try to light the individual bulb. Don't try to put a flashlight on it or put a battery pack on it or something like Plug yourself in by prayer to God. And what will God do? He will give you that peace. When you reorient yourself to God, that has a wonderfully freeing effect to your soul. And I'm not just talking about psychological manipulation here. You know, stop thinking about yourself. Maybe that is how it works, partially. But what I'm telling you is that really, God will send through his spirit who's in you a felt peace. The fact starts it, and that doesn't change. 
the feeling may change. It will change. That's why we must constantly be people of prayer. We don't find peace. We experience peace as a result of finding Jesus. I'm going to show you a photo that you may have seen, a, a drawing actually by Jack Dawson. You, you may have seen this before. Let me show you. It's a picture of peace. And <laughs> you may think, hold it, have they got the right slide up? No, they do. That's a picture of peace. You mean with the raging waterfall, the lightning and the thunder, the rocks? I don't want to be there. That's peace? If you look closely, you'll see peace. The bird in a nest, sheltered by the rock. That is a picture of the peace that Jesus brings at Christmas. So if you back out of the close-up, your life may look like that right now. And you may think, yeah, you don't know what I'm going through. Jesus does. And I'll say to you, you don't know what you're going to go through this week. You don't know yet. But I'd like to tell you that peace with God brings peace from God in the middle of the storms. So whether it is, like I said earlier, the storm of grief or maybe the storm of sickness, you feel like your body is not your friend anymore. Or I talked to someone this week who said, we feel like, because they both are sick, they, they feel like an alien has invaded their body. One is getting better, one is not. Will this ever end? Or maybe it's the storm of financial setbacks where your job isn't producing what you thought or your bills are just overwhelming you and you're just not sure, you're paralyzed with fear. Or maybe it's the storm of, especially now with Thanksgiving and the holidays coming, those family conflicts that you just don't even want to think about any kind of get-together because it means being with or even having to send a card to or a greeting for. And that storm is just, like when I say the word peace, you think, yeah, pieces. That's what I feel like. I'm in pieces, not peace. No. What I'm telling you today is that when you don't feel the peace, if you know you have believed in Jesus, you go back to the fact of peace, being justified by faith, we have peace with God, period. That is objective. That will not change. Your name is written forever in the book of life. There is nothing that can separate you. God is at peace with you, and you are at peace with God.
And once you turn your doubts and you pray to God, Lord, I don't have peace. I can't get along with this person. I feel like this. What are you doing? You're moving your heart to Jesus. And Jesus says, I hear. And I may not still the storm. You think I'm sleeping in the boat? And the storm is still swirling around you? Yes. I know. I care. I one day will change everything. I will come again. And Paul says in Romans 16, 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That's our hope. So having the peace with God means that we can have peace from God. Felt, real, tranquil peace in your heart. Not because of mind manipulation, not because of substance use, not because of turning the music louder, no, but because Jesus himself gives you, by his Spirit, that tranquility of soul. And that's why we remember. So would you take your cup And I would like to remind you that the storms of the cross were real. Darkness, earthquake, forsaken by his Father, the wrath of God pouring on the Son, the assault of the devil and all the forces of evil extinguishing the life from Jesus. Jesus lost peace so that we can have it. Jesus is the end of our longing for peace. And just like I needed breakfast this morning and I'll need lunch and dinner the rest of the day and probably some snacks in between, I need Jesus, I need him. And I love to get his peace <laughs> when I don't feel it. And I look in the wrong places, I'm just reminded that's junk food. I need real food. That's why Jesus said on the night in which he was betrayed before he went to the cross, you need to do this to remember me and what I'm doing for you. You need to do what? You need to take this bread. And the bread is a picture of Jesus' body, that he would be broken for us. The storm would assault his soul. And he said, when you see that and feel it in your fingers and eat it in your, your mouth and ingest it, that's a picture of you coming to me and owning me. 
if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, then would you just not do this? You're, you're, you're living a lie. You're making a mockery of what Jesus said here. This is special. This is mysterious. This is the body of Christ given for us. Let's eat together. And now as we peel the foil off the top of the cup, there were two symbols, his body and his blood. And of course, blood represents life. And Jesus will give his life for our lives. His everlasting deity merged with humanity in one person at Christmas. What a mystery. Yeah, that's a big mystery. But here's another mystery. How can God die? I don't know. But the God-man died for us. He took our place. And again, he said, I want you to take some wine, some grape juice, and in a way that shows your dependence on my death, my resurrection, I want you to ingest it. So he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, and we are to drink it to remember him. Let's do that right now. As we conclude, and I'll pray in a moment, there's one hymn that is a favorite of mine that I would like to read as our prayer. It was written by a man who lost his whole family at sea. And he wrote these words. And think about what we've talked about, peace in the storm, right? So he said, when peace like a river attends my soul, my way. And when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet and though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight and the clouds be rolled back like a scroll and the trump shall resound, the Lord will descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Father, may it be well with our souls today because Jesus came at Christmas to bring peace on earth to those with whom you are pleased.
And so we say, even so, come, Lord Jesus, come. Uh, may we have your peace and your joy. In his name we pray, amen.